Welcome to the APL Next Ed Minipod, where for a few minutes each week, academic leaders share insights and perspectives on the most important issues and opportunities facing academic teams. Learn how other schools are managing and strategizing for success as your host, CEO and founder of APL Next Ed, Kathleen Gibson, gathers and connects practical seeds of knowledge and experience from her guests. Hello, and welcome to the APL Next Ed Mini Pod. Today, we are going to be having with us one of my favorite people in the whole world. And it's hard to believe that a year ago at this time, I don't think I knew you, Holly. And yet you have you feel like a, an old friend, a, a kindred spirit. We uh, connected immediately upon meeting last spring, and um, our lives have become sort of intersected and interwoven in many ways over, over this last year. And I couldn't be more grateful for you being with us today. And so I'm going to give your bio so everyone can hear professionally what a wonderful person you are. And, um, and then we'll dive into talking about what we've been talking about for the last few weeks in our series uh, women in leadership. And of course, we specifically talk about women in higher education leadership. But I so wanted to have your perspectives for the women who are doing the good work of leading in higher education, who often don't have time to get to professional conferences outside of the area they're doing in scholarship. And so I think some of the things that uh, you'll be able to share with us today and the wisdom that you've garnered over your career uh, are going to be just invaluable to both aspiring women who are in our audience and women who are have already found themselves at those upper echelons. So before we get too far along, I wanna say that Holly is a highly sought after award-winning global speaker and inspirational thought leader who has addressed hundreds of thousands of Fortune 500 executives around the world and impacted the hearts and minds of millions in 160 countries worldwide. A Celebration of You is her podcast on iHeartRadio. She's an expert in strength-based leadership and corporate women's empowerment. Her unique approach has led managers to become strong leaders, individual, individual contributors to achieve higher levels of performance and companies to discover new opportunities for success. I could go on and on. You can find more about Holly's bio and all her amazing accomplishments in our program notes and also on her website. And so uh, without any further ado, Holly, welcome. Thank you, Kathy. And what a beautiful introduction. Thank you, my friend, because it's so true. I truly have to just kind of reiterate what you just said. People come into our lives for a reason, and it does feel like we've known each other our entire life. So it is an honor to be here. It is an honor to support you, your leadership team and everything you're about, Kathy. So I'm an open book. Let's have some fun. Ask me whatever you want. You can All go right. wherever you want. You All know? right. All right. Well, thank you. I, again, will sort of reiterate that, you know, very often when I was doing higher education leadership and now even, you know, in a founder's role and as an entrepreneur, I have a little bit more access to the kinds of thinking and speaking and the kinds of ideas that folks like you are sharing. Um, but very often I find that um, for women in higher education leadership, because of time constraints and, and uh, very demanding jobs and sometimes things in their personal lives that it's difficult for them to have access to inspirational uh, thought leadership around leading as a woman in this country. And so I'm, again, just really, really thrilled that we can step back from maybe the context specifically of higher education leadership and talk about what it means to be a woman and leading in 2021, almost 2022. Um, there are two things that I think just describe you perfectly. And I think 
these two things are the things that we can probably say greatly have attributed to all the success that you found and all the impact that you've had. Mm. They're also, I think, really timely for the, the time and space, which many women find themselves leading in today. And one of them is joyful. Mm. You, you write a lot about joy. You talk a lot about joy. When I'm in your presence, when others are in your presence, the joy sort of permeates from your pores. This is something that we need in an extraordinary way in our country, and particularly as leaders. What what do you attribute um, as the source of this joy? And how do you experience joy in a way that's genuine and sincere in such a way that it sort of emanates from you? Mm, Kathy, I just have to tell you that I love that you just brought this out and brought this up because it is probably the most important mantra that I choose as my compass every day, which is I choose joy. Mm -hmm. And the fact that without you even knowing that the fact that you just were able to say that is such a beautiful gift. And I thank you because I truly believe in it for everyone listening every day. We have a choice. We have a choice. And many, many years ago, as we all have been through many good times and many bad times, you know, it took just in the last three years, did I start sharing some of the really dark times of my past? And what I really found so important is that when we choose joy, you have a choice. We can choose another mantra is I can choose to live in woe is me, or I can choose to live in wow is me. Mm -hmm. Because how we choose to show up in the world has so much to do with the medicine for our soul. And it has a huge impact on how we attract and magnetize other people. So there's so many things that I love to talk about this word because it's my choice. Cause I think we do, right? I mean, we all know we've going through tough times. It can be a lot. It can be heavy duty. It can be very light for the day, but at the end of the day, it's a choice. And I would encourage everybody you know, you have a choice and mine is joy. There's also something that's really important that I want to share. And that is, if it's not joy for you, then look in the mirror and ask yourself, how am I showing up to the world? And I think when we really look in the mirror and we realize that we are an exact direct mirror image of who we're choosing to be. And that doesn't always mean that it's always a lovely thing. So I think sometimes, especially for leaders, right? I don't believe you need a title to lead. I believe leading is how we show up in the world every single day. It doesn't matter your age, doesn't matter your race, your gender. We have a choice as human beings. So you could get me on a roll right now, but I got to share a study that's going to be, it's really a part of the work that I do all over the world, right? Continue to do. But I think the study just, you'll love this. Okay. And, and I think that anybody that's, I love data, you know me, Kathy, I'm yes. always showing data and I'm like, I yep. love research and I follow neuroscientists and I love the power of the brain. But there was a study done back in May of 2005, the Smithsonian mm-hmm. Institute did a study okay. and it was because MIT was going to be having the Dalai Lama come over and the Dalai Lama came over and they said, before the Dalai Lama gets here, we were wondering if we could just do some research and find out why is the Dalai Lama so joyful, Mm -hmm. right? And as a scientist and researcher, that's like, oh, let's figure it out. So what they did is they went through over 30 years of publications around the study of joy and what was the ingredients. And do you know what's very sad and why this study is so to me, profound is that, and you can see this published in the Smithsonian Magazine back in May of 2005, what they found, prepare yourself, 
30 years of publications around joy and studies and all of this, they found over 400 about depression Mm. and they found 40 on joy because you see where we focus our attention is what we get. If you want to know what the ingredients of joy are, stop studying depression. I like to think of it as why is it that we study divorce to figure out what the ingredients are to a healthy marriage? Let's start studying healthy marriages and figure out what the ingredients are. How about for the beautiful young children in this world that are battling more than ever depression, anxiety, right? Uh, suicide. Why are we studying all those versus studying the kids that maybe are comfortable in their skin and having a sense of self-worth what's driving that. So you got me on a roll. I know, yep. no, if you no, I love it. I love that, it, but I'm no, big it's into great. this. <laughs> I mean, one thing you said, and, um, I am on an advisory board with, um, some women and a woman who's the provost of Indiana university. She, she coined this lead where you are, and it became our sort of our conference theme. And even our theme perhaps related to our mission as a, as a group of women leading in higher education. But it is this idea that it's less so about credentials even, or less so about titles and more about the second part of the second attribute that I see you live out and, and see people finding so much inspiration in, in a quality that, that also just sort of exudes from you. And that's this fearlessness but before we get to fearlessness, I, I, I want to talk a little bit. I'm looking at my clock because I have, you know, I have to watch because Eric, um, our producer. <laughs> I know. We're, we, a, we don't, we he don't put me on a tight. <laughs> he put me on a tight <laughs> schedule today. All right. So um, do you, I have encountered this and, and I'd love to hear kind of if you encountered this and you seem like someone who wouldn't be phased by it, but maybe there are others in the audience who've been, who've been impacted by it. Sometimes a joyful woman is perceived as less serious. Sometimes it's almost as if we sort of in this culture, maybe it comes from the Protestant work ethic, or maybe it comes from the seriousness we take around revenues or success. But it seems like if you want to be serious, if you want to be taken seriously, if you want to be respected, that there's a somberness about the way in which you approach things. And there's a seriousness in which you approach your role. And I'm not suggesting that joyfulness and silliness are the same thing, but it does seem as if particularly for women that being joyful may not in a lot of people's minds be synonymous with leadership. And I'd love to hear your, hear your perspective on that. Ooh, that's a powerful question. And I've actually, you're the first person that's ever asked me that. So I love that we can put this elephant on the table. So what's coming to me right now is two things. And that is when I think of the word joy, it's how I, joy and happiness are two different things, right? I mean, and we look to the world to fulfill something that we need to start by finding it within us. It's not about looking for material things to satisfy that sense of joy. Joy to me is waking up and being so comfortable in your skin that no matter if you're having a, a good day, you didn't sleep well, no matter what's going on, you have a choice to say, this is how I'm going to show up to the world. So to me, I'm going to give you a different word because I like that you said joyfulness is not silly. No, it isn't to me. And I just was interviewed secret, getting ready, something that's going to be released in uh, coming up in the next six to eight weeks. But I was just on a really powerful interview last week. And 
they said, what do you think is the number one ingredient to being a powerful woman in the world right now? And I said, everything that you never picture, it's called poise. Mm. Poise to me is the one thing that no one can take away from you. And Mm -hmm. to me, joy and poise are very similar because when you Mm -hmm. walk into a room and you see someone, and let's say it doesn't matter their gender, female, male, whatever. When you see somebody that's so confident in their skin, they have this attraction about them that without even opening their mouth, you want to be around them because there's something emanating from them. Mm -hmm. And to me, that is joy. It's not anything else. It's being comfortable in your skin and having poise. And especially for women, you know, as leaders and to what you just asked, I think what we spend so much time and energy doing, Kathy, is we spend so much time and energy trying to fit in Mm -hmm. to what others expect us to look like and act like, like putting on a pair of shoes that don't fit. And you're, you're getting blisters and wearing that suit or that jacket that it's not even you, but you do it because we think we have to do this. And I want everybody listening to say, stop trying to fit in to what others think you should do and rather start creating a life that fits you. Mm-hmm. And when you do, it doesn't matter who's in the room. People are attracted to you and they want to follow you. And to me, a great leader is someone that others want to follow because it's about respect mm-hmm. and they want to have something that you have. And what you really have is confidence and poise. And you're not li- looking to be a power hungry control freak. I have to say it like that because usually it's how we get the impression we're making is we're trying to why do we want to intimidate people? What is that Mm -hmm. game? Mm -hmm. Right? So to Mm -hmm. me, joy is the highest level of poise. It's all of that wrapped up in one. So I hope that just gave you a little nibble. You want a story that goes with this? I would love real story. I would love one here. It's coming. I don't even know that I've actually ever shared this story live, but go back to, and you know, my clients, I'm very, very blessed to have incredible clients around the world, but go back to over a decade ago. And I was being introduced to a global, a big global firm, and they were going to be bringing me in to help create some full day immersions and some programming for only their partners around the world. And after the the leadership team and we met, they never told me this, Kathy. I didn't know this till about two or three years later. So mm-hmm. we're spending all these sessions and deep dive, brainstorming, creating, and I'm just doing what Holly does, right? Like, right. and I'm thinking about the human beings in the room title. Yes. But you know, at the end of the day, we're all human. So right. this is what they needed was not the, I'm going to be honest, what they needed was some of this fluffy stuff to really get into the focus of their strengths, what drives them, what energizes them. So they never told me until about two years later when we started rolling out this program, it ends up that it's the number one most sought after program for partners in this firm. And by the way, they said, we don't know that you know this yet, but there's a nine month waiting list that they are on to get signed up to be with you. And I was like, what? I mean, because we only did it in certain very exclusive places, like in the boardroom and others. I said, nine months. I said, yes, that's how high demand it is. And we've not even advertised it. It's all referral. And then they proceeded to say, when you come back, we'd like to hold, we were going to have a big get together and a little celebration. I ended up, this program went for eight years, Kathy. Wow. I finally had to retire and say, (laughs) I get some other people trained up to do this. But the part that was, I want everybody to hear is that when they first sat down with me and we first started having these meetings, unbeknownst to me, they said, I wonder if she's just a little 
too fluffy and too warm and jovial. We're not used to having that kind of warmth in our boardroom and with our partners. We're a little nervous. And somebody else said, why don't you just let her do what she does? And I think you might be shocked. And they said, we've never had a program so well-received. And it's because I chose not to create something that went against my core values of what I believe human beings need. Mm-hmm. So that story you just got out of me. I don't think I've ever shared that story, Kathy. So I love it. I mean, mine is, I have a story that's very similar. When I started teaching, I was trying to be right. I was trying to be a certain way, look a certain way, fit in with the other faculty. You know, I had this ideal of what, and honestly, I was a terrible teacher. I was a terrible faculty until I got so frustrated and it became so difficult to try to squeeze my foot into the shoe that didn't fit to use your analogy that I just said, F it. And I'm, and I I was like, I'm just going to be myself. And when I started to be myself and that's happened to me in every kind of new venture or new opportunity that's come my way, I've, I've started in this place of trying to fit the mold, trying to, and then once I was able to, once I failed trying to fit my feet into the shoe that was too small or too large or whatever it was. Once I decided, okay, well that didn't work. Now I'm going to try being who I am. The pieces came together. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder, is it a skill set? Is it a practice? Is it, you, you talked about it as a decision. How does someone sort of move from, and I was, I feel like I was raised in a, you know, great family. I know I, there's nothing I can point to that say would suggest this is why you, you know, are always trying to squeeze your foot into a shoe that's too small instead of, you know, feeling like you can walk in and immediately be authentic, immediately be yourself. Do you have suggestions for how, you know, any of us can begin to bring that authenticity, which to me, in a lot of ways, based on your description of joy is, is very much in line with, with joy, right? It's, it's yes. being uh, comfortable in your own skin. You said, uh, do you have tips? Or, again, is it something, were you born this way? Is it skills? Is it practice? Is it, what is it? Oh, oh, teach oh, us, teach comes. us, teach us. Oh, I love it. You're like, oh, it's, I, you know, I think we can all go back to the earlier days. You know, I like to say that when we reflect back on who we were as young children, right? I like to call them the butterflies on the shoulder, those things that we had that we dreamed about and the aspirations and the, all those things, those dreams and those goals. And then because of, and I don't blame this on anyone, right? Without any bad intention, people in general, as we begin to fly, they begin to take our wings and crush them because they want us to be safe. Mm -hmm. And then it's about, well, this is really where we see you doing well. You really should consider doing this. And before you know it, it's a very subliminal process that I believe happens. And again, no bad intention of anyone out there. It's just thinking to protect us and keep us safe and not letting us fall down. And yet the best moments of our life are when we fall down and we're Mm -hmm. figuring out how to pull ourselves back up. But I have to tell you that I was that girl in third grade, Kathy, and I want everyone to hear this. I was the overweight, shy little girl Mm. living in Reading, Pennsylvania. And I was sitting there. I had very few friends. I was very, like, just had no self-confidence. But on Friday nights, my dream was, and this is going to date me, so you're going to die laughing, but I used to look so forward 
in our little TV in the basement to watching Love Boat and Fantasy Island. Do you remember those shows? <laughs> yes. I didn't but, have many dates either. So I, was, <laughs> I think I was in middle school and high school still watching Love Boat, Love Boat and, and Fantasy Island. Island. Right. Yeah. And oh, by the way, it was followed by the Night Stalker. But I mean, I just got to say that. Right. <laughs> but I dreamed of being Julie on the Love Boat. And that dream started in Holly when she was a little girl, but I never said a word to anybody. Fast forward to college for many different reasons, right? I've always believed in fighting for people I love and fighting for causes and things. But because everybody said, oh, you'd be a great lawyer, I started to pursue, I was going to pre-law and thought that's what I was going to do. But do you know what dream never left me is I dreamed of traveling the world and I dreamed of being Julie. And I remember calling my father at the end of my sophomore year in college. And I said, I just want you to know, I've made a decision. I'm going to, I'm going to quit and I'm going to go travel the world. And if you knew my dad, fabulous man with a very strong Persian accent, it was dead silence on the phone. And he said, on my dead body, you figure out a way to get a degree and finish that schooling. So what I did at the time it, there was no hotel and restaurant management. I literally went to the career planning, found my way to a very small sector in the business world and uh, created the first ever uh, program at Kansas State University and got myself. I mean, the story is crazy because I always say, tell me, no, watch me go. You asked, I think we have it in us. I had this dream and I wasn't going to let anybody stop me. I sat in the back of the library, went through 40 travel magazines, wrote down the names of cruise ships, proceeded to call them all and ended up doing hot pink cover letters and resumes to 19 cruise ships around the world. And by the way, I asked three different travel agents to spare 15 minutes of their time. I made appointments. I talked to all these people and not one person said, go for it. Every single person said, honey, get your head out of the clouds. Uh, it's a 10 years waiting list. You have to have speak five different languages. I heard every single reason why I could give up my dream. And you know what, Kathy, I would say this to everyone listening again, don't ever lie. Always make sure what's on your resume is the truth because I was getting my minor in French and I didn't do what everybody told me to do. I did hot pink resume, hot pink envelopes. And within three weeks, I had three cruise ships calling me and every single one of them, when I answered the phone, were speaking in French. I ended up being on a boat in Papiete, Tahiti, flying halfway across the world for the first ever internship that I created for my university. Now, the moral of the story is you asked, have I always been like this? I may not have realized that I had the burning desire, but what I want everyone to know is you have the butterflies on your shoulder. Somewhere along the line, and I don't care how old you are today, we can recultivate. We, it's never too late to dream again. It's never too late to go back and take a moment and say, who am I? And what do I want to bring to the world? Because when you're bringing your best to the world, by the way, everyone wins. You win. It's a ripple effect. Everyone around you wins. It's just like being in the presence of you, Kathy, and getting to be with your leadership team of several months ago. Everyone in there is honored to be a part of this journey. You are bringing your best to the table. And so everyone wins when Kathy wins and you get to bring it home to your family. So that's a really important piece to this is my mantra then started, tell me, no, watch me go. The more people do you talk about fearless, the more people tell me I can't do something, honestly, the more darn fuel Holly gets to go make it happen. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> sounds like love you, that. doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, uh, I love what you said about kind of cultivating this. And, and then I loved what you said earlier about data. I used to help 
put together this program for exploratory students. These were students who came to college without a major. And boy, you can imagine their parents trepidation sending them to college without a major. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But we put together this amazing program that actually ended up being quite helpful to even students who had decided on a major. But one of the really, really fascinating articles that we would read or journal articles that we would evaluate with the students was, and an exercise, we actually ended up creating an exercise that came out of it, but I think it was a University of Michigan study. Don't get me, don't quote me on that. And I want to say it was probably late nineties, but it was a study that showed that if you looked at, or if you surveyed people and asked them what they were doing when they were eight, nine, 10 years old, the answer to that question was usually a good indicator as to what it is that would bring them joy in their lives in terms of career or vocation. Mm. And it was what they surmised in the study, as I recall, was that this is what we would play, right? We would play in a way that filled us up. Mm-hmm. And when you got well, be a little beyond 10 or 12 years old is when you started to hear, oh, you should do this, or you should do this, or this career will allow you this sort of lifestyle, or you're really smart, you should do this or, and, and so other things started to come in and impact the decisions that young adults would begin to make about their futures. And so we would have these students go interview their parents a mentor or coach who knew them when they were young, and then maybe a sibling or a grandparent or a youth pastor or something. And we'd, we'd specifically say, go back to these people and ask them, what were you playing with? Were you the kid that was like doing the can drive in the neighborhood? Or were you in the sandbox building roads? Or were this will give you a clue as to where you find your joy because it's what you, it's what you played. And so I wonder if, as we think about joy and career choices and where we find ourselves doing our lives work. Do you think that you can be, you can choose joy even in a difficult situation in, in a situation where perhaps you're not, you're not doing that work to which you've been called or that work, which maybe you're um, naturally created to, to excel in or find joy in. Mm. How do you, how do you navigate when you, when you find yourself in a, a role or position where you, you know, you want to choose joy, but maybe, maybe there is an alignment. Mm-hmm. Mm. Powerful. It's really powerful because it goes to the heart of what I probably have spent the last 20 years. So part of my journey is to help people rediscover their gifts their strengths, their talents, and to stop apologizing for those and to give yourself permission to figure that out. And again, it's never too late. So to what you just asked, I think it's really important for everyone listening to take a moment when you're done listening to this show. And if you can give yourself some white space, 10 minutes, I always say seven minutes a day for the next seven days, and just take a blank piece of paper, Okay. And in a blank piece of paper or an empty journal or just something with no one else around, I just want you to write at the top of the page, take two pages, one for seven minutes, just write, I love to, I love to, Mm -hmm. I love to. And then on the other page, write, I dream to, I dream to. This might seem completely like, huh, really? Every time I encourage people to do this. It is unbelievable what happens to so many of us as adults. We have forgotten 
to be in tune to our soul's highest cot calling. We mm -hmm. have gotten to dream again. And you will see if you can do it for seven days, everybody, seven days for seven minutes, do it longer. Don't let the pen or pay. Uh, pencil come up and just keep doing it. And then look back and take a highlighter and reflect on what you've written. And you will discover something beautiful about you. You might rediscover your passions. Does that mean you have to go leave your job? No. So what I want you to then do is figure out if you're in a place right now where you're waking up and you're dreading going to work or you're dreading doing what you're doing, there's a reason, even if you're really good at it. And I have to say this, the world's telling you you're really good and you can become really proficient at something. You might even become pretty darn good. And then what happens? People keep asking you to do more of it and more of it. But here's the scary thing is yes, you're performing well, but if you aren't loving it and it's not energizing you and you aren't waking up going, I can't wait to go do this, then we're going to see you burn out. We're going to lose the best of you. So the greatest gift that you can give to your teams, to your boss, to anybody is to take the time to go. It's not asking to be given a free card to stop doing something. It's how about being creative and saying, here's where I've realized I've had a lot of success lately. It's also something I'm realizing is that I'm dreading doing some of these. I, it's depleting me. So how can I bring a better version of me to the current role and help us achieve our goals and our objectives? And you know, the beauty of that magical moment is that you're actually giving somebody the opportunity to stop reading your mind. Most of the times people keep putting us in the same slots, doing the same thing, because we just assume you love it because you're good at it. For goodness sakes, if you don't speak up, how would anybody know? Mm -hmm. So the greatest gift you can give your teams, your colleagues and your boss and everybody is to say, Hey, I'm taking some time to really reflect. And I want all of us to do this. And I think looking forward in the next quarter, I see where we can really, where we're aiming, but here's where I'd like to start bringing something that I'd really love to be doing. And then this beautiful thing called collaboration happens. You saw it sitting with your team in the room. When we start sharing what we love and what we dread, we start <laughs> collaborating, right? And going, I had, I mean, people start getting tears. Yes. Cause they're like, I had no idea that you hate doing that. Well, I've never said anything because nobody's asked. Right. So, I mean, you, you know, I, I kind of went down a whole path here, but I think it's really important for us. Stop asking people to read our minds and stop expecting it and start figuring out where you can bring your best. And then those moments of joy that maybe just flicker and you don't have a lot of it. It doesn't mean you have to leave your job. It means you can start recreating what you're doing in your current role. And like me, I made a years long goal that I was going to get back to doing what I loved. And my number one client was the company I had left working for. So, um, at the end of the day, there's ways to do this, but it starts with you and you have mm -hmm. to take accountability. Stop giving others permission to give you joy. It's not their darn job. It's mm -hmm. yours. Mm -hmm. I love that. I think what, what I really love about what you just said now is the paradigm shift that you created, maybe without even knowing it, but probably consciously. I think when we think of getting better or being more, uh, performing, uh, more highly or performing better. We're so cultured and it's kind of the article analogy that you gave, right? There were 40 articles on joy or happiness and how many four or five times as many about depression. It seems like every time 
you look for a resource to help you kind of evaluate your strengths and then also think about how you go to the next level. It's always about fixing something. It's, it's always on the negative, right? Get better at this, you know, do this more. It's, and, and maybe it's just me, but it seems as if it comes from a negative place. It comes from a gap or a, a, a lacking. What you just shared is something very different. What you just shared is, no, let's not look at what's lacking. Let's look what's abounding, right? Let's look yes. inside and say, this, this, this is great. This is, this is who I am. This is the uniqueness and the joy that I can bring to the world. How can I, how can I multiply that? How can I, how can I bring that out more instead again of this, you know, again, very, I think it's very cultural to, to sort of have this idea that if I'm going to get better, I have to fill in a gap that there's some lack instead of, if I'm going to get better, I'm going to increase something that I already have that's working. Mm. Does that make sense? Do you see a difference there? Huge. I mean, huge. And this is exactly why it's so important. I want to get, I want to share two things. Um, one, it's such a simple analogy, but we're walking down the road and you see a shiny coin, right? It doesn't matter what denomination, but you see a shiny coin, you pick it up. And the closer it gets to your eyes and to your view, you see the scratches, you see the marks. Why is it? It's no different in life. It's how we are with ourselves. We take for granted what's working, what's wonderful, what's brilliant and beautiful about you. And instead we take that for granted. And what do we do? We focus on what's missing. We focus on what we feel is broken or what needs to be fixed. Our attention is so focused on the scratches and the marks. We've lost sight of what makes us and everyone around us magnificent. So I would encourage everyone to even stop think about the people you're working with every day. Think about your loved ones at home. We're really guilty of doing this even worse at home, but we suddenly look at what people aren't bringing or what we need to fix. No, go back to what you loved about them to begin with. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Gallup organization did a study many, many years ago, and it's a very, I love the Gallup organization. And they did a study and they interviewed parents and they said, your child comes home with a report card, three A's, a B, a C, and an F. Where do you think the parent's attention went to? Mm-hmm. 73% of the parents said to the F. Now, we're not saying that you ignore the F, but why is it we're not figuring out what's underneath the A's? Mm-hmm. What's driving the A's? We take that for granted and just assume they're going to be fine. And what have we done to this innocent child? We're saying, well, now you have to figure out how to improve the C and the F. And suddenly all the focus is going on that. And everything that made them so brilliant to begin with, we're just taking for granted. So what's driving the A's? What's, what's underneath that? What's keeping you that up at night that makes you tick and gets you excited that you can't sleep when you're thinking about this? Figure out what that is and then start shining. As I like to say, let's start shining the spotlight, Kathy, on what people bring rather than what they lack. Because beautiful things happen when we do that. None of us are perfect. It's it's in our imperfection that makes us beautiful and brilliant. Mm-hmm. So um, you you keep getting me on these little soap boxes that no, go I right just, to I my love soul. It. I love it. I love I, you for that because it just gets me jazzed. Are we doing okay on time? I just yeah. you're seeing me glance over because Eric has me very nervous. <laughs> <laughs> we have about eleven minutes. Um, okay. 
So I do want to talk a little bit about fear because in this conversation, it feels like joy and fear have a, have a connection in somehow, right? Authenticity and fear. And, and I think that this is true of everyone, but I think particularly as we look at studies and even, you know, reflecting on, uh, I guess Cheryl Sandberg's book is probably what, 15 years old now, but you know, the, the women don't lean in. Is there something you can say about the connection between fear and joy and authenticity and sort of living in a way that's appreciating, recognizing, allowing you to, to shine what is good and, 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 uh, you know, put a spotlight on what is good rather than, you know, kind of be again, focused on where the gaps, where, where the lack, where am I lacking? Um, how does this connect to, or does it to, to fear? Mm. Well, I think fear is probably as human beings, right? We all have, I don't, it doesn't matter what we do for a living and who we are. We still, I still, we still battle fear, right? Fear is always going to be there. It's, it's, what are we doing about it? And are we willing to take, as I like to call it, a leap of faith and step, stop stepping away from it, but step into the fear and realize that what you can do to overcome it is to figure out what it is about your human nature and your soul that can come alive, right? Because some of the deepest, darkest times for me, which I may not have seen it then, Kathy, but I can look back and go, those were some of the greatest gifts. It's like when you get, when you're faced with trials and tribulations, do you get bitter or do you get better? Mm -hmm. Fear keeps us in the bitter mode. Mm -hmm. And it feels, it feels like when we are faced with fear, we think we can't, we're suddenly in this world of, well, God forbid I would try that and then fail. What's anybody going to think? What's the world going to think, right? We ca- it's all the stuff that ta- we talk in our between our ears and our head. It's that chatter, the mental chatter. But the other piece to this that I think is important is to know that when we can really get over the fact, and I think I'm going to, do you remember the HBR article that came out a couple of years ago? Gosh, it might've been five years ago, six years ago, where they did a study of women and men. And they said, you see a job posting. Do you remember the study? And if a woman sees- Oh, yes, 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 yes. Yes. And they don't, they don't feel that they meet eight out of the 10 things required for this next job, even though they would love to put their name in the hat, they immediately step back. Whereas a male, he sees maybe one thing and nine don't even matter. He doesn't care. He just throws it in. They did the study. It's a great study. Mm -hmm. So why is it specifically for women that we tend to we're afraid to showcase ourselves. We think we're bragging, right? We're thinking all these things. Again, it's fear and the, the chatter that's going on. The reality is though, to everyone out there listening, how can anybody know what you could bring your very best at if you're not willing to throw your name in the hat? And one of my big clients, I did four years of ongoing it's a really cool thing we created and I do it for a lot of people, but especially for their women in leadership. And I know we've talked about this a little bit, but we did ongoing six month programs where however they want it, we're being nominated and put into the program, whatever that looked like, but we would do ongoing programming. And one of the things that was one of the biggest hurdles was that exact thing that a woman, she would see even at a leadership level, even a better role or a different law was afraid to put their name in the hat. And guess what happened by them letting go of this. And we let go of that fear and saying, screw it. I'm just going to throw my name in the hat. What do I have to lose? Literally, I'm getting goosies as I tell you this. There were so many aha moments. And you know what? It doesn't mean that every one of them got that opportunity. But guess what happened, Kathy? Is that every single one of these women that have over the years have done this and overcome that fear of 
well, what are they going to think? No, actually it had the best magical ripple effect because even though they didn't get that specific job, their name was now out there. People didn't even know they were interested because again, you've been doing this. We had no idea you'd be interested in this. And guess what? The name, their names were out there and guess who was being called on and being nudged for the next opportunity that came about. So I think to answer your question around fear, I think it's the fears, all the fear we put on ourselves. Mm-hmm right? Oh, mm-hmm. I can't showcase me or I, that would be bragging or, oh my God, stop worrying about what everybody else thinks. Start bringing your best because then they know what to do to help leverage you at your best. Right. But it starts with you mm-hmm. again, stop giving it away to everyone else. It mm-hmm. doesn't, nobody else gets permission and the power to do that. And I, I think that's where fear steps in. And, and would you agree on that? I'd love your thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it's, I think it's very difficult to be given permission, but I also think that, I mean, in my own life, I really credit this unconditional love I had from my parents. That was very empowering. I'm not going to say I'm never afraid. And, you know, I I'm doing, you know, this, this software company now, and I've, you know, done three different careers now. And every time fear didn't hold me back. And I, I, again, it's not to say that I'm never afraid. And I've, I've reflected on that in, you know, on many occasions. And in some ways I attribute it to the fact that I knew growing up that I could go to my mother and tell her I did the worst thing I could possibly imagine. And she would say, that's not good. And then she'd hug me and tell me she loved me no matter what. And we'd get through it. And there's something so empowering about that. And you know, maybe it has to do with having that love as a child, but also having that love of yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Thinking that you're valuable enough to be allowed to be joyful and to be allowed to try things that are hard that you might fail at. And at the end of the day, you'll forgive yourself if you're not successful, you'll forgive yourself if it doesn't turn out exactly the way um, you expect. I only know for myself that I think that it's, it's this, um, kind of unconditional love that seems to be the antithesis of fear in my own life. And I have that in my husband and in my children now, you know, they, and I tried very hard. I hope, I hope I did that for my children that I, you know, gave them this sense that they would be loved no matter what, and they didn't need to be afraid to fail. And, and maybe, you know, in having this conversation with you, there's something that we, those conversations that we have ourselves, you know, maybe it has something to do with, with love and respect of self and fear. Yeah. No, I love what you just said too. You can just see your entire disposition. You have a glow right now and it's beautiful. No, it's just beautiful because I think what people need is what we're doing right now is I have no problem pulling back the layers of the onion. It's about being authentic and about being transparent. And when you really can let go of the need to have to please the world. And I know that sounds easier said than done, but I've been on that journey my entire life. And it is the most exhilarating, no pun intended, joyful feeling to have the freedom to let go of the need to please the world and just be me. And when I've really done that, Kathy, kind of like what you just shared, wow, 
you actually kind of just get into the flow of life, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a flow and there's the whole book on the science behind the flow. So um, it's very much science coming together and realizing that there's something to be said. So uh, it's just a beautiful thing to see you sharing that too. Cause as to why we're kindred spirits, that's why we met and we were like, oh my gosh, it's my new best friend. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we have just a minute left and I do, I would love to talk again, but maybe you can say something, um, kind of in closing here, maybe to even people who aren't aspiring to lead, maybe just people who are finding themselves living in this time and place that seems to have a lot of, where there seems to be a lot of focus on lacking and, and, and looking for the negative and kind of persisting in a lack of joy or, or, you know, some, some sort of condition that isn't joy right now. And what would you say to all of those listeners and, and to people who they may say, I'm not, you know, really aspiring to lead, but I, I want to live a joyful life. I want to live a fearless life. What, what would you say um, just in closing as, as sort of a few things they might be able to do or something they might be able to reflect on that might move them closer to that goal? Mm. So at the beginning, when I mentioned the writing for seven days and just take complete silence, get away, I would really just reemphasize that and ask everyone to give yourself that gift, that permission to do that. And don't share it with a soul. Just do that for you. The other piece to this that I think is really important. And I do this a lot with especially extraordinary you and the women's events, but that is let's reflect instead of shoving things under the carpet reflect what you have been through, reflect where you are today and where you've come in the last five, 10, 20 years. Mm -hmm. We don't give ourselves enough time to truly cherish and nurture and celebrate the crap that life has thrown us. We, we kind of shove it under the carpet and we always afraid that people are going to find out. I mean, Kathy, three to four years ago, when I started sharing one of my really dark past you know, I was so scared, even when they were getting ready to launch this interview. And I called my brother and I said, I'm freaking out. I think I'm going to call it off. And he said, why? And I go, because nobody would want to buy damaged goods. Mm. I'm a global sought after speaker and thought leader. Why would anybody want to hire me anymore? And he started laughing. He said, that's exactly what they love about you. And people heal when we reveal. Mm-hmm. And you talk about joy. It's my mission now is to bring hope and inspiration and joy to the world. And by doing that, I am free and I have found me. And so I would really suggest that people look back at what you've come through, write that down and then say, oh my gosh, I've been through a divorce. I've been through health challenges. I mean, I don't know what's going on in your world and who knows what that is, but you need to celebrate where you are today and then write down what drives that. Is it perseverance? Is it your tenacity? What is that that made you rich and makes you rich so you can have the fuel to step out of fear and keep moving forward. And I'm going to keep saying it. It is time today to start creating a life that fits you and Mm -hmm. stop living a life of fitting in because no one's winning. Your boss isn't, your clients aren't. Nobody's winning when we're going to see you lose the very best of you. You're going to burn out. Everyone Mm -hmm. wins when you can find your best. So you keep getting me on these topics. I love it. That ending moment is, and I, I just can't stop because it's that important to me. If that's what my mission here is on this earth, it's to help every human being realize that this is your chance to find the gifts within you and bring them to the world. And oh, by the way, start shining a spotlight on everyone else's gifts because it's a ripple effect. 
For sure. That was beautiful. Thank you so much. You are so generous, always, especially generous with me. Holly has poured uh, her, her wisdom and her teachings into my team and, and to me. And um, you're just a very gracious, generous, uh, amazing woman. And Thank you. keep, keep, keep singing it, sister. Keep singing it. We got a lot of people who need to hear your song. So I hope, I hope you all enjoyed this time together as much as, as I have. I'm going to quickly say thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you to Holly. You'll be able to find, again, more information about Holly in our speaker notes. You can find uh, the APL Mini Pod and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and iHeartRadio. You can also visit aplnexted.com. And thank you, thank you, thank you. This was amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Blessings. Thank Thank you. you. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you to today's guest and thank you to you, our listeners. You can find out more about our guest in the show notes. We hope the APL Next Ed Minipod is a helpful resource to you and your teams. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and share it with your colleagues. The APL Next Ed Minipod is brought to you by APL Next Ed the leading academic operations platform helping academic teams connect and collaborate in one place. To learn more about how APL NextEd is helping schools streamline academic operations, visit aplnexted.com.